0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries with literally thousands of retail stores all over the United States. If you have a question or need to find a specific battery, go into one of your local interstate battery retail stores, talk with a battery specialist, and they have everything from specialized batteries for range finders tv remote controls they have truck and car batteries basically these guys are the experts in the industry when it comes to batteries so for more information visit interstatebatteries.com or visit your local retail store interstate batteries outrageously dependable Happy new year all you whitetail hunting bow hunting elk hunting mule deer hunting turkey hunting fishing trapping sons of bitches <laughs> hopefully everybody had a great new year's eve i'm going to tell you right now i am i'm beyond jacked up right now for 2020 and i'm going to tell you why i am going to be making some big life changes and i am going to really focus on my business this year. I'm going to focus on my family this year. I'm going to put all the bullshit in the backseat and not worry about it. And I'm going to focus on things that are really important to me. And that is, I guess, kind of my new year's resolution. But all the things that I have been doing in the past, I'm going to become more efficient. I'm going to amplify all the positive things and I'm going to Turn down or eliminate all of the negative things, and just become as efficient of a human as possible. You know, I have the health resolutions as well. I'm getting fat, so I need to uh, focus on getting back at the uh, the the health side of things. I want to do some new and exciting things. Um, I want to make another short film this year. I want to. Uh, really focus on my business like I said and bring you guys through the Sportsman's Nation and not only just podcasts now but I, I think I'm going to start picking up the video game uh, and, and getting more involved in, in the video side of things as well uh, and just I have this whiteboard on my, uh, on my wall in my office and on this whiteboard it has all of the things that are somewhat important to the sportsman's nation right things that you have to do every week things that you have to do every month uh contract stuff where you know i'm obligated to do these things and then i have a section of when those are done and i have my free time and it's time to grow these are the things that i want to focus on so i have a a, kind of a priority list it's not necessarily in any order but it's just a a, uh uh a list of things that I want to accomplish in uh, 2020 and uh, if I can get all those done, it will be a uh, a good a good thing. I doubt they all get done, but uh, I have some pretty high expectations for this year and one of them is to keep coming out with awesome podcasts every single week and today is no exception. Uh, we're going to be talking with a gentleman who had a I believe a four year history with this buck that he's that we talk about today and I love episodes like this because you get to hear about failure right and failure in my opinion is what defines us and uh, failure is one of those things that it defines us but it also allows us to grow in the right direction and what I mean by that is with the sportsman's nation I fail every single week. There's something that I do wrong that I go, oh, man, I, I can't do that again, and I got to learn from it. Or, hey, I have this problem. How do I fix it, and, and how do I prevent that from happening again? And this podcast and the story of this buck is no exception. You hear him fail, and then you hear him fix the problem. And it's amazing how it all kind of plays out in the end. But uh, you're gonna love this. You're gonna love this episode, uh, just like all the other episodes we put out. Man, huge shout out to the, all the guests for tw- in 2019 for hopping on the podcast and, and sharing their stories with us. Because I really do feel that we we as a community, if we build a community, and even though let's say I hunt in Iowa, and a guy a different guy hunts in Michigan or Alabama or you know Texas or whatever. Our, our scenarios are not the same, but the principles can be the same and the enjoyment for a fellow hunter can be the same. And I feel that the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles does that to the point where, you know, we're putting out relatable content that you can actually go apply in your woods or wherever you hunt, and uh, that's what I—that's what I really pride myself on, and pride uh, the Sportsman's Nation on. And again, thank you guys for taking time to uh, to hop on. And you know, again, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of the partners uh, of not only the Sportsman's Nation but the Nine Finger Chronicles as well. You know, we have some really amazing brands working with us uh, this. year. This year and continuing on, you know, hopefully I can continue these partnerships on into 2020, you know, and uh, if I do, that's great. If I don't, completely understandable, you know, this is a business and uh, loyalty is awesome. But at the end of the day, these companies have to, uh, um, you know, these companies have to do what they have to do in order to survive in business and change their schematics and change who they, uh, uh, you know, change who you know where they put their money to get the best possible return on investment for that and I just want to say and I'll provide you with an example because I don't think they would have a problem with me doing it one of the companies that I'm 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 talking about here is Ripcord Ripcord makes an absolutely awesome rest right and I've been a they've been a partner on this podcast since day one. I mean, these guys have uh put money into this podcast and they didn't even give a discount code out, right? They just they said, you know what, we believe in what you're doing. Uh you we know you love our products, go tell you know, go tell everybody about it. And Ripcord is one of those companies that they are uh, you know, They've decided to move on in a different direction with their advertising, and it's okay. I mean, I completely understand. I'm not butthurt because, the, you know, oh, my God, you decided not to work with me? I'm Dan Johnson. You know, I'm not, I'm not like that. I understand that business has to grow, and it changes at all time. but I do want to say that um, that company it has amazing people working for it, and they have an amazing product uh, that I think really all of you guys need to, uh, you know, if you're ever looking for an arrow rest, really, uh, really think about Ripcord and think about, uh, you know, what you need in a rest. They can provide it to you. I and mean, just an awesome American made company, uh, veteran owned, awesome customer service. And uh, I know I'm, I'm talking about a company that just dropped me, but I do want to thank them for the, the money that they've given me in the past to become a partner of this podcast has literally helped not only this business grow, but it has helped my family pay the bills. And that means a lot to me. You know, when you're helping my family and you're helping me and you're helping my business, that means a lot to me. So a uh, huge shout out to Ripcord. Go check them out. And that, my friends is a testimonial, I guess you could say of a, of a great brand. And now we are done talking. Um, but, but one last thing before I get into this podcast today, and it's about what I've learned over, uh, shit the last decade, really. Uh, man, I was a fuck up for a lot of my life and I, uh, you know, I drank a lot. I didn't care about other people except myself. I um, was negative in nature, right? I, I came off as a good guy. I was nice to you, all that stuff. But I always thought of the worst possible outcome for every scenario. And in the last ten years, I think what I've what I've really tried to do is become a positive person, and that is something that I want to continue doing. Uh, in the next you know year in the next five years ten years is just be as humanly possible as be as positive as humanly possible and surround myself with positive people and bring uh, the positive energy to my family and I think when you can bring positive energy to another group of people and even though if those people may not be positive themselves if you're positive and you uh if you're positive and you can you can spread that positivity and every day that other person who sees you being positive, even when you get shit on, you're still positive, they can change and then they're putting out more positive energy and I think that's one thing that this I, I know I need in my life and I, you know, positive, you know, positivity is good for everybody but I think the nation and the world as a whole just needs people who are more positive. An, an example of that would be somebody who sees a deer on social media. Oh, shit, he shot that in Iowa or he shot that with an outfitter or he shot that you know on in a high fence or whatever. You know how much that's that's negative. And I think if we can just say, dude, congrats, if it makes the other person happy, isn't really that's isn't that all that matters? Because what does someone else killing a deer in a different state, using an outfitter or in a high fence or whatever, what does that mean to you? It doesn't mean shit. So I just want, that's, that's one thing that I've had to work on in the last couple of years is just dropping judgment and seeing it. Does that make the other person happy? If it does, guess what? Congrats to them. Did they do it legally? Congrats to them. Positive energy, positive energy, positive energy. And once we start putting out more positive energy, I'm telling you, man, this, this hunting community that we know that sometimes feels divided will be united and then we can start going places. Then we can start doing crazy things together instead of, you know, and, and having a conversation with somebody who hunts completely different from you. Don't shit on them. Talk to them. Hey, man, why do you hunt a high fence? Hey, man, why do you use an outfitter? Hey, man, why do you hunt public versus private? Hey, man, why, why, why? And guess what? When you gain this information, all information is good information. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. But if you have information and you can carry on an intelligent conversation with someone about uh, what they do and how they do it, it makes you better. Because you might learn something from them, even if it's something so small that you can turn around, flip it, and take it out into the timber with you, and it might work. So, I want to quit judging. I want to have more positive energy, and I want to I want to make <laughs> this sounds cheesy, dude, but I want to make this uh, this world a better place. You know, I want to make my home a better place. I want to make the hunting community a better place. Uh, And uh, I'm going to bust my balls doing that this year, next year, the year after that. uh, And uh, hopefully until they dig a grave for me. So I've rambled a lot on this and uh, I really do appreciate uh, everybody who's listened to the sportsman's nation. uh, Any of the content on the sportsman's nation, huge shout out to all the content providers for busting their ass to put content on the sportsman's nation. And lastly, my wife, you know, I'm up here, she's with the kids and, uh, she, she busts her ass as well. And all of you for taking time out of your day to listen and follow on social. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, the positive message is getting spread. Please help me spread it in 2020. And, uh, I think once we can do that, dude, it's just going to be so much better than it already is, and uh, I wish all of you guys success in the timber or out in the field, whatever it is you enjoy doing, I wish you success in it, and I think that's it, let's quit talking and get into today's, I don't even know what it is, it's a, a big buck profile episode, enjoy. All right everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today we are joined once again, you're you're a returning guest, right? Yes sir. Yep. And uh you were on last year. Shannon Long is your name and that 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 was a, a very horrible introduction by the way, but you were on last year. You shot a slob. Two years ago. Two years ago. Okay, two years ago, you shot a slob. How did uh, last year go?
1: Uh, chased a couple older deer, uh, let one live, and end up eating a tag.
0: Okay, gotcha. So, uh, decent season, but not the best season you ever had last year. And uh, I got a message on Facebook from you, and uh, you're like, hey, man. I got 5 years worth of history on this buck I ended up killing and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um so I take it this was a good season for you.
1: Yeah, it was uh not as stressful as normal, but yeah, it was uh it was it was a good season all in all. Cool. I guess anytime you can fill a tag with an old deer is a good season.
0: That's a fact, man. All right, so let's see here. I I want to I want to get into this story. We're not going to do too much BS up front here today. Uh, you're out of Ohio, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, overall, just real quick, I, I like asking this question just to see, you know, compare it to to my rut and other people's ruts uh, throughout the you know the nation. How was your rut this year?
1: Um, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the rut, um, so I really it, it was okay. Um, I gave a, a deer a haircut and the rut, another old deer, he ended up having a broken main beam after I reviewed the footage or whatever of him. but, uh, it was an okay rut, nothing too crazy. I hunt a lot of small properties, a lot of fence rows. So, you know, if I don't have, you know, I'm just basically getting lucky them coming up and down the fence rows and stuff.
0: Gotcha. And is that something that, uh, you're, you're doing every year is just kind of cycling through those small properties then?
1: Yeah, I usually just try to find a big deer and, and hunt that deer, and usually I can get on a fence row that's close or something like that and then, you know, you know, make it work to my advantage from there. I have some family land that uh, has a lot of CRP and a little bit of woods uh, to it, but uh, that's where I try to, you know, do the strategy stuff on that. Other than that, it looks like if I know a deer went one way, from my cams i'm hoping he comes back in the next day or morning or whatever so he usually beds on one side and then he chasing does or feeding on the other side of the fence so if i can just stay on that fence line i can catch him going one way or another
0: gotcha all right so i want to talk about this buck did, did you for for referencing this deer did you give him a name at all
1: yeah his name was the locust like the locust tree with all the thorns and stuff yep. like that all over it
0: yep by the way uh have you ever had to set up in one of those trees
1: yeah i have three sets in those trees oh man
0: (laughs) those absolutely suck but they're they're sometimes necessary, especially on like you said a fence row or one of those trees that are just inside of a fence row let's say like ten yards inside that's where I always seem to find them and uh for some reason they're always in a really good like location for a tree stand and it just it absolutely sucks having to <laughs> having to uh set up in one of those trees with all those thorns.
1: Yeah, have you ever noticed their branches are a little bit more spongy than other branches? Like they want to whip back and smack you more?
0: Oh, I just, the, the tree in general, it is hard to get into. It's, uh, I feel like they start branching out lower to the ground than a, yep. than a regular tree. So you're having to do a lot more trimming and creative hanging to even get in it to get a tree stand up and then you get the thorns in on the top of your hands and then you can't get the you know you or on your legs or wherever and you can't get them out and then they fester and they turn into like a uh like a pimple and then you have to pop out the tips of the i know this is gross but you have to pop out the tips of the thorns a couple days later it it just sucks like a little
1: it looked like a snow cone. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, uh, what's the what's the meaning behind the name Locust for this buck? Why did you give give him that name?
1: Well, the first year I seen him, uh, got a trail camera picture of him, and then I found his shed, and he just started to um, like have like a little bit of a point at his base, and I didn't think anything of it. Well, the next year. Is when he got his name because uh, usually deer don't last that long around there. And he, the year I found his shed, found him, next year blows up and he started having junk at the, at the bases. And they're like, they look just like locust thorns. So they're like as long as your pinky and they were pointing straight out above his eyes. And I was trying to think of a good name for this deer and I'm like, man, it looks like a locust tree. And we have locust trees on the par- property. And I was like, he looks. Just like the base of a locust tree with you know, junk going everywhere. Right. So I was like perfect name for him.
0: Yeah. So you gave him the name in two thousand fifteen, but you first had him on camera and uh and had did you have any encounters with him in two thousand fourteen? Uh no. No no encounters, but you found his sheds in the spring of twenty fifteen. Yes. Okay. All right, um, so you you find his sheds, and then in 2015, um, how did he? You said he blew up from the sheds that you found in fit, in the spring of 15 to the fall of 2015.
1: Yeah, he probably put on, if I had to guess, probably 40 inches. Oh
0: wow! Oh wow! Yeah. So, so he he blew up, um, and then. What, what did you guesstimate his age to be the, you know, the
1: 2015? Uh, we were, when I first found the sheds. I was, I was thinking he might've been a four-year-old. Uh, but then the older that he got, we kept going back and forth between like, you know, either was he a three-year-old with the, his body or was he a four-year-old? Cause usually their, their best years from what my experience is their fifth year so we were thinking that he was five when he blew up
0: okay so So you found his sheds as a four-year-old is what you're what you're guessing and then uh the next year he was a when he blew up added 40 inches he was a five-year-old and um automatically when you found you know when you when you found this uh deer uh did you find him from seeing him from the tree stand did you find him from trail cameras what was How did you, how did you identify this buck?
1: When I, when I first found him or when I, uh,
0: when I found him, when he, yeah, when you, you know, you, you found the sheds and then uh, the spring of 2015, and then you, you, uh, identified him, you know, you know, Hey, that's the same buck we found the sheds to in, uh, the fall of 2015, how, how did you find him? I mean, were you in a tree and, and had encounters with him? Uh, did you have him on trail camera before the season, season started? I mean, was he a regular customer on the properties that you were hunting?
1: Yeah, he, uh, I call it like a cell block. We have a, a big old cut, and there's like only three or four landowners in there, and he would summer at the end of the, the one property, and it's probably a 1,000 acres, but it's mainly ag fields with like little sections of woods in it. And he was summer on the one side, and I found him in the summer. And the day before season started, I found him 40 yards from, like, I have one corner of a wood that I'm allowed to hunt over there, and he was 40 yards from it. And I had a good wind for that there that year. I hunted him the first time, and then never seen him. He never showed back up on camera again. So, I didn't know uh, what he did because so of just being new with him, I was like, "Well, he's over here in the summer. Found him in the summer, hunted him once, and now he's gone." And then November first, I get uh, a, a trail camera picture. Um, I wasn't running cell cams yet back then, so I had to check all my cams and stuff like that. So I found a November first, he came through in the daylight where I got one of the best pictures that well probably the best picture of him and yeah so the way the property's set up is like all these woodlots there's a total of 15 people that actually hunt this thing i call the cell block and i only had like the kind of off the wall spots i the main woods i'm allowed to hunt him in was 310 yards long by 160 yards wide and then there's like a valley I'm allowed to hunt this valley that's real thick that they can't farm, and then there's this little itty bitty island way out like three-quarters of a mile out in the field that I can hunt, and then one corner of another wood that's on the south side of the farm. Just one corner of it. Okay. And that's really all I'm allowed, but we all kind of like talk to each other and show each other trail camera pics and all of us except for like two guys get along on this, on this whole area, so everybody knew of him, but Just never had a lot of, you know, encounters with him.
0: Okay. So he made an appearance. Uh, Were you in the tree when he made that appearance uh, early in October in 2015? No. No. Okay. That was just a trail camera picture.
1: Well, we've seen him before the season started, but the only trail camera I got of him, um, I take it back. We got trail cameras of him before the season started, and then i seen him the day before the season started in that tree stand. And then i never seen him again until I got the trail camera picture in November.
0: Okay. And by then, was the season over, or were, were you still in season in 2015?
1: That, that was still in season.
0: Still in season. Okay. That was so- Okay, okay. November 1st. All right, so November 1st, you got the picture of him. Okay, I get it. I got got you now. All right, so um, the rest of the 2015 season, did you have any encounters with him, any additional trail camera pictures of him? I mean, were, were you able to get an idea what he was doing as far as a pattern or a routine?
1: No, he was kind of like a little bit of everywhere. Like I said, there's a lot of people that hunt that farm and I try to let my little sections, like, just no pressure, don't pressure myself, and also, that year, I had uh, a couple other really big deer I was hunting on other farms, so until I could get him on, like, a pattern, I really wasn't, like, full-blown, like, hunting him, Um, I had been out there, in one of the sections of the wood, one of the little blocks of wood, um, I was out visiting the, the landowner, and I was just parked there and I drove by the woods and there's like a power line cut. Well, he had a doe bedded down in this power line cut in the middle of the woods. And, uh, I'm watching him chase does out of this thing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, the guys that hunt the, the two dudes that are allowed to hunt that little piece of wood, they're done. So the farmer's up there and I said, Hey, I said, can I, uh, walk over here and try to put a stalk on that big deer that I've been hunting? And he goes, uh, I said, the two guys in that woods are done. They're already tagged out. And I said, can I go over there and hunt it? And he goes, eh, you better not. Uh, so he goes, I'd rather not. I don't want the, you know, the bickering and the commotion and stuff like that. So I literally just had to sit in my van at the farm and watch this 170 deer chase little bucks off and breed this doe. And it, I could have easily put a stalk on him, Like easily. <laughs> the terrain was so in much.
0: your The terrain was in your favor at that point
1: oh yeah wind was in my favor the terrain I'm like he's in a clear cut in the one bush that's literally in the middle of this like power line cut power line cuts 40 yards max all the way across and I could it's like a thicket all the way around one side and then a deer trail that goes into it and I'm just watching him push all these little bucks off and then just you know so I just had to sit there and watch him that day
0: that's nuts that's nuts. That's, that sucks when, um, like I, I, I have access with other hunters who have all the ac- same access I do. They don't have, you know, the farmer doesn't say you can hunt this piece, you can hunt this piece and you can hunt this piece of the property. We all have access to the same, um, amount of the property and, uh, we can all go do whatever we want to do, uh, as long as, you know, we're not sitting on top of each other or, you know, whoever gets there first pretty much has the, the rule of the, of the roost, you know, we're, you know, I, if I know someone's in an area, I stay away from them and, and just kind of be, you know, respectable that way. So, uh, I've never had to hunt a property where a guy goes, yeah, you can hunt it, but you can only hunt this portion of it. Does that make things frustrating for you when you know, the deer is somewhere else and you can't hunt him?
1: Yes, and then no at the same time, because beginning, we used to, like when I was younger, I hunted this property because I was 14, and we used to be able to do that, go anywhere and everywhere, and it was one guy, the one guy that nobody gets along with, was started complaining and stuff, so because he went to the landowner complaining, the landowner said, you know what, I don't want to deal with this, I'll either cut hunting off, or you guys all just pick your woods well that guy was there first so he got to pick all of his woods first and kind of like stuck me out like a little elf on a shelf out in the middle of nowhere
0: (laughs) that would suck that pissed me off man
1: yeah i was i was young and dumb when all that happened and i was really glad i didn't do anything dumb
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i hear you i hear you all right so 20 back to the story 2015 um did you have any in other than that uh, the sighting, uh, you know, from the from the road? Did you have any other encounters with this deer while you were in the tree?
1: Um, one from a, from a distance, and that was it. And what I come to find out is, like, he liked my little area to the neighbors because there's some CRP and like a lot of deer around us. Like, if you if you got a white rack. Most likely they're bedding in the CRP and staying there because the sun's bleaching the rack out. So he always normally carried like a really white rack because he bedded in the CRP a lot. So the CRP section, I don't have permission to hunt on, but I can hunt up against it. And that guy also lets me shed hunt. Um, So basically my little woodlot, my main woodlot is right up against his. And that was where a, a sighting that I had of him is way out in the CRP field.
0: Okay. And uh, at that time, did you try to call at him or rattle at him, or was he uh, was he occupied?
1: No, I was just too far away. He had yeah. never heard me.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So, one so, encounter. Uh, say what?
1: I said, is this another situation where I just had to sit back and watch? Yeah.
0: So, rest of 2015 plays out no more no more encounters did you know that uh this deer made it through the gun season at all
1: yeah i had a uh, trail camera picks all through uh the rest of that season and uh and, and into the later part of the year and stuff like that with just my regular cameras and so on and so forth um so i knew he made it through i looked for his sheds pretty hard and i pounded that property and never found that the biggest set i never found
0: okay
1: so i found the first years that i i found his sheds before i ever even got checked my canvas i found him when i found the sheds or whatever and then the biggest year never found his shed
0: okay so his biggest year from an antler was his uh from an antler perspective is your or that bucks uh what you're assuming is 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 his fifth year correct okay so You didn't find his sheds, uh, the spring of 2016. Uh, what about when did the deer show back up or when did you know he was alive, uh, the summer or fall of
1: 2016? Um, I scouted him again in you know, July, I could pick him out from a mile away and then I was getting trail cameras where he was summering and stuff like that too. I got a really sweet trail camera picture of him, uh, with a fawn like he's on, on a mineral and he would always come to this mineral in the summer and he'd always summer over there in that woods. and i have a picture of him and the mineral and the fawn like looking at each other kind of at the mineral and it was just a
0: sweet ass picture cool so cool so then uh, you knew he was alive but you have trail cameras on that block of woods is this the block same block of woods that you can hunt
1: no this is on the opposite side this is the corner that i'm allowed to hunt on this piece that's way out the middle of the field.
0: Okay. All right. So, so you, you knew he was still alive going into the 2016 season. Um, talk to me about his encounter. Did you have any encounters with him? Uh, 2016 season.
1: I actually did not have a lot of encounters with him. We have, uh, we got a lot of snow that year. And um, we have a big problem with snowmobilers chasing the, chasing the deer so and then they the farmer also allows coon hunting and some other stuff and it it just it wasn't you know whatever in ohio we're allowed to bait and literally the only way i could get once he moved from his summer range into his fall range he would move almost the week of uh hunting season you know because so many guys would start putting their stands up and start putting cams up the very first week of hunting season so it was always like he was like oh there's my sign i'm gonna move to my fall range and i'm gonna go over there and you know that's where he stayed for the rest of the year so i started i started baiting in my small in my small woods and he would always come in and uh i was getting him on on coming in on bait and stuff like that well that year was also another year where i had another big deer that i was chasing elsewhere and um uh i just never ended up he never presented like a pattern and he would only come in at night like 99 percent of the time into the bait but it was like if i can keep him over here and away from everybody else as long as it's surviving that's all i care gotcha so, so you were chasing
0: you were chasing another deer that was getting the majority of your time and the only reason you were putting bait out was just to hopefully keep him alive from uh, some of the other guys
1: yeah, I mean, I would hunt it if I would have had a, a pattern to it at all, but I just had no patterns to him. He was just so sporadic. Yeah. And like when the snow would hit, it would be even later in the later in the the evening when that when he would come in because he was positive he was 90% of the time bedding that CRP. So when the snow hits, it beats that CRP down and takes that thermal break away from him. And they just have no no cover, so it pushed him into a wood lot, but he would never stay in my wood lot because it was it was too thin, so he would stay in another food lot or a wood lot and then come to me to get the food and i would, It would push it from you know hour after dark to midnight one o'clock because he never wanted to cross an open field in the daylight because we had so many snowmobilers,
0: right, yeah. So, pressure. I mean, that sounds like uh, the moral of the story on this farm is uh, you're getting a lot of pressure from... uh, I mean, I have the same problem. I mean, this... I checked my I pulled some cameras after uh, the season was over this last weekend and I got coon hunters on these cameras. I got uh, guys just walking through the woods with a Pepsi in their hand. I got, you know, dogs running and other hunters and all the all the same stuff. And I think I think that has a, a huge effect, obviously, on on the deer. So it sounds like that's something that you're used to fighting, though.
1: Uh yeah, some years are worse. This year wasn't as bad as as normal. So, you know, that was, you know, it, it was what it was. I'm actually working on making like a photo album of all the dumb stuff that happens to me during hunting. <laughs> <undue. laughs>
0: so, 2016, you were hunting another deer. Did you even did you even go in for this buck at all?
1: Um that year I did not. Okay. Um I mean, I hunted maybe – I hunted like the valley just trying to catch it in the – because he was known to come through my valley around the 1st of November. So I would hunt the valley on good winds and just try to get lucky and catch him. But I don't like to pressure my little – my one little lot that's kind of like all mine because if he ain't in there, I didn't want to risk him blowing out, leaving my scent and everything else. I just – a lot of times I just try to play it too safe, I think.
0: Yeah well you know when you're getting trail camera pictures in the middle of the night it's hard to get aggressive on something like that right so So. 2016 uh you kind of you know was a, a lackluster year for that particular deer uh did you find his sheds or learn any more information about the pattern that this uh deer was using or uh his his core area
1: yeah, I narrowed his core area down because, like I said, I, I there's like several of us on the farm that all talk to each other, and uh, I'd say they had about maybe 20 pictures of him, and it was always during the rut that he would go off to the other bigger woodlot, and they'd catch him coming through, coming through, coming through. And then um, he would go back home into this other woodlot next to the CRP, and, to, you know, he'd be in the CRP until – the snow would hit or the ice would hit and then he would be like, Okay, well I'm, you know, gonna go into the wood lot and then my the wood lot behind mine that's on the property that we're allowed to hunt that but I'm not allowed in that wood. Um, he had a bed in there and I'm almost positive I know exactly where it's at. Um but that guy would catch him jay hooking around into it and the, and the guy he's actually a younger kid, he would just never put two and two together that he was jay hooking around him to get into his bed. So I was just adding intel to everything and just sitting back and just waiting.
0: Yeah. All right, so 16 passes. Did you find his sheds in the spring of 17?
1: I did not. That was the year after his biggest year, and I did not find his sheds then.
0: Okay. No sheds in 2017.
1: Um, That would have been 16
0: 17 yeah spring of no 17 there yep yeah okay so you know after after talking with some of the other uh hunters on the property um and it i I do the same thing sometimes where i'll share most of the information with some of the guy, you know with some of the other hunters but you're always leaving just a little bit out because you don't want you know it's hard to be a hundred percent honest with you know, with somebody because I don't know, it, it sucks that you have to do that. I I feel, but at the same time, you know, if you give information to somebody who has permission to hunt the same piece of property or near the same piece of property, you know, if I found out uh, that there was a big buck cruising a particular fence line or up on a coming up a drawer, I would make a move on them. Right. If I found that information out, but you know, is it uh did you gain any intel from any of these guys or, or puzzle pieces that was like okay bingo now I know what I need to do?
1: Not really. Most of my intel came from my shed hunting. Um so when I when he would I, I there's one there's a couple pictures that the one younger guy uh sent me. And I, I was—if he asked me something, I was—I would, would share him anything and everything. There's just they weren't allowed hunting my little block of woods, and I can't really hunt their block of woods. I mean, if he said, "Hey Shannon, if you want to go hunt them," you know, he could be like that. But if he would ever complain, then I would have—you know—I'd get—you know, could get kicked off the property. Right. So they did the same thing. So we just—you know—so if he asked me, "Hey, have you seen a locust?" I'd be like, "Yeah," and uh, I'd share a photo because there's really no way it could really help him, you yeah. know, but with his, um, the, the angle that he was going in the time of night that he was, he was getting these pictures, it was letting him do that big circle back into the, to the CRP. And I was like, he has to be going and laying in this CRP. The CRP property is like 68 acres or something like that. And there was different spots that I've seen him over the years, like stand up out of his bed, the CRP, Spin around, lay back down, or he would move as the wind shifts and the CRP in different high spots. And then when the shed hunting came, I would find him. God, go to his bed and see how he's moving from bed to bed. He didn't like other deer. He never bedded with other deer, except for maybe occasionally a doe. You know, so it was just it was funny because one of the main roads that run through there, they'd be like, I'd get a phone call. Hey, I seen locusts in daylight today. I was like, Oh, did you? He's like, Yeah seen him from the road well i was like well if you've seen him from the road you've seen him right here and then seen him like i'd sent him a google earth and i'd circle the area and i was like that's one of his beds and he's like man how'd you know that i was like because i know the deer <laughs> <laughs> i was like he was they were like astounded that i could like if they could see him from the road the only bed they could see him that he'd literally sit there and watch the road with the wind blowing over his back and it, it was impossible to get to him right he was 150 200 yards off the road watching the road but the wind would blow over his back, with a like a southwest wind would blow over his back, and then there's just no way to get to him.
0: Yeah. So this deer was smart. He, he was watching people come in and out of the farm, it sounds like.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he would literally, he was so good at it that I watched him one time. It was actually this year, but uh, the guy that hunts that, um, him and his son-in-law hunted, he drove in. The check stands before gun season, and the deer jumps up and, like, runs 80 yards and watches the truck drive in and then sinks back down while the truck's driving by, sinks back down into the CRP. And then when the truck leaves and crests the hill and leaves, stands back up and watches the truck as it crests the hill. I was like, wow. Yeah. I was like, this deer knows everything that's going on.
0: He found He found his safe space. That CRP field sounds like that was the the area that kept him alive the longest, and that's where he called home.
1: Yeah, and the older he got, his he stopped summering in the one section. I completely, never seen him over there ever again after that. After his second set of sheds that I never found, uh, he never I never seen him again over there. He completely stayed on the other side. He would go halfway in the winter and to a, a cornfield, but he would never go back over to the, he never summer over there again because there's just too many guys on four wheelers guys on, you know, put stands up in the middle woods and everything else. So it was crazy. how it was like, the older he got, his home range just shrunk. Yeah. And he just stayed in. It's, it's really, it was, it was just really, really impressive to watch a deer survive and, when you got 15 guys in that cell block that all, these are all bow hunting guys. Yeah. That doesn't include guys that would come through in gun season and push every wood except for like three of them.
0: Yeah. Wow. And so this cell block, how many acres is this cell block total?
1: I'd probably say about 2,500 acres maybe.
0: 2,500 acres, 15 guys, and a majority of it is ag.
1: Yeah, i would say 90 percent of it back.
0: okay all right so uh 2017 um what's uh what's the story in 2017 um did his did did so that's see he, he's uh, 2017 he's a six is he uh four five six seven so he's seven year old at in 2017 roughly
1: the seventeen
0: eighteen season? Yeah. Uh, well it would be the 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 sp- spring you didn't find his sheds in twenty seventeen and then uh the summer of uh twenty seventeen did you uh what was he then?
1: So I, I think we're a year off somewhere, but uh he was um six or seven. He he Yeah. Um somewhere in there. Yeah. But I had I had hunted him Uh, hard that year because not hard I never really hunted him hard because I, I was just waiting for a pattern to present itself and a pattern never really presented itself and that was that one the two years ago was the year that I killed my big one so I also had my big one on camera and so I didn't I ended up killing him the day after Christmas so um yeah I just that was
0: um so two. I just never. 2017, you really didn't hunt him that much because you. That's the year two. Uh, two years ago is when you shot your big 180 class. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. So, um, but trail cameras. Uh, you had trail cameras out on this farm. Did uh, Did he teach you anything, or did you learn anything from the trail cameras?
1: Yeah. Every year I baited for him. Um, every year I baited, and just I would always. He would always come to my bait because I would never pressure the – other than the bait, I would never really go into the woods to hunt or do anything else unless I was waiting for a pattern to present itself. And what I found out was, like, the wood's so small and it's right next to, like, the road kind of. Um, if I went and put it toward the edge, I, one, I thought, I was like, all right, I'll bait, and then I'll sit on the edge of the woods and see if I can get him coming into the bait. And that I don't have to like step into the woods and I can, you know, manipulate my wind better because I know he's never going to break out into the open and circle in the open field to, to win me. He'll just stay within the bait and winding the bait in front of me. You know what I mean? He never wanted to step out into the open field. So when I did that, I moved that bait pile closer to the edge of the, the woods like 40 yards in. And that way I put my tree stand right on the edge of the woods and I could shoot into the woods because I knew he wouldn't break out into the open to win me. So I was like, I was trying to manipulate that bait and manipulate my stand locations and stuff like that for him. Gotcha. And I w- I was, I was going as far as, like, I knew he knew trucks, I knew he knew four-wheelers, I knew he knows all that stuff, and what he wasn't, like, he's pressured by it, but he wouldn't blow out because of it. I was even to the point where I'd be like, all right, Jess, my girl, I would be like, come pick me up, drive the truck all the way up to the base of the tree so I can get down so he just sees a truck coming. And he's like not totally blown out by a truck. You know, he'll you know, if he would see me, I just felt like it would blow him out. So I was like, all right, get the truck, drive up to the woods, I'll get down, get right into the truck and we'll leave. And then it won't blow him out yeah. because he's the CRP field my neighbor would drive through it to go check his fans and go check his cameras. and I mean, just drive straight through the CRP field. Gotcha. So he knew trucks, and he wasn't blown off the property by trucks. Okay. So that year I was trying that, but the one thing he never liked to do was he never liked to come to that bait in the daylight because it was so close to the edge of the woods. So what I would I learned that year was he didn't like that. He went daylight as much. So I moved that bait pile back into the woods, and the further I moved it back into the woods, the more and more he would feel more and more comfortable.
0: Okay. And so did you move that bait pile at all during the season to get him, you know, to get closer to daylight on him?
1: No, because it was just, they were used to going someplace and I didn't want to try to manipulate piles. It it was almost like if it wasn't exactly the same, he didn't want no part of it. You know what I mean? Like if if I would throw another trail camera in there, than what he was used to, he would notice that trail camera.
0: Really, so, so literally the he was he was on his game. He knew differences. He knew he he just felt like something was wrong in there. And whenever you tried something different, he would he would identify it and go nocturnal.
1: Yeah, he would just he would see it not staying as long, and he'd be like, "Okay, I come in." there's another trail camera added why is that there you know and Uh then he would like not be in there as long he would stay in there for 20 minutes and feed sometimes and then if i add a camera he'd stay in there for five wow until he got used it mean, he's (laughs) wow he was
0: that's crazy that uh i mean i've never i've you know i've check the trail camera before on a you know after season i'll throw a bait pile up every once in a while just to know when the sheds are dropping so i can go in and start looking for them and there's been a couple times i guess when i've changed batteries or checked sd card and i noticed a you know a mature buck coming to a, a corn pile multiple days in a row i go and check the trail camera i'm not you know tromping around the woods but i go and check the trail camera at noon on february in february or something like that and then they stop showing up for a couple days, and then they'll, you know, three or four days, things settle down, and they'll come, they'll come back and start hitting that pile again. It's 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 crazy how they do that, and they know, and they just they don't. Those big mature bucks do not take any risks.
1: Well, from my big deer, what I learned when I killed my big deer two years ago, that's when I started running cell cameras. Yeah. And now I run almost exclusively cell cameras, and those things are god's gift to deer right. honey um it doesn't assure you that you're going to kill a deer i can promise you that because i've got 10 of them now and you know i went a year without shooting a deer and i i've had 10 of them and you know so they're not like assuring you a kill but they are definitely giving you a lot of information and a lot allowing you to not pressure an area as much so i mean the year this year when i killed him i had four cell cameras in that woods just so I could try to figure out what he was doing.
0: Yeah. So, 2017, you kill your big buck. So that's kind of gone with the wind. What about sheds on the uh spring of
1: 2018? Uh, the I didn't find the sheds that year. I found him the next the next year or whatever.
0: So uh, what about the season then? So you didn't find uh, – spring of 2018, you didn't find sheds. Um, any encounters with this deer in 2018 at all?
1: I didn't hunt him again that much. I just kept being right on the edge of him and just too much pressure. Like I, I hunted him. I don't want to sound like I didn't hunt him at all, but I, I, I was learning – I had like a process that I would go through, and it was I would let these deer get like so comfortable that then I would go in and you, you know and, and capitalize on the on the situation. But he would never do it because I had the 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 neighbor would change the way he drove in and drive up along my fence line. That's literally right up against the uh, the woods that I hunt, okay. and I'd have a trail camera of, of the the neighbor doing that. It would literally he would get onto a pattern and get closer and closer to daylight. The neighbor would come, and bump him off two weeks. He would start to get the process again in the two weeks, and then the next thing you know, coon hunters would come in and bump him back a week, and then he would get, start to come in again and come in again and get closer and closer and closer. Well, by that time, season's over. Yeah. It was it was always something, and he would always know.
0: <clears throat> so he was affected by pressure big time.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, and me and my buddies that would talk about it we just sitting there thinking about look at all this information that i've gathered where i've watched them and i'm i'm getting hundreds of pictures of this deer throughout the night like he would come in and feed it two or three times a night two times a night one time a night stay for 15 minutes i mean when you change a camera move or would you would you would add a camera or do something he would stay in for five minutes and then he would only come in one time a night and then he'd come in like the next night stay a little bit longer and yada yada so the longest he'd ever stayed in there was 27 minutes feeding yeah and i was just like and it was in the dark. it was a it was a night i mean i have plenty of daylight pictures of him, but a lot of them would be like okay i come in one day with the perfect wind blown in his face impossible for me to hunt it and i was like you know so a cell camera does you no good other than telling you he's only going to move with the perfect wind in his face yeah. and you're never going to be able to beat him that way so with the little woods that i
0: had right so, you were relying heavily on trail camera data um did you make a move on him at all in twenty eighteen?
1: i did uh how many times did I, have? I think I hunted him four times four times, and I only seen him twice, and that was in the c r p field i try to i try to go in once in the early season, like October, and see which Bettytty's in, depending on the wind and stuff like that and yeah, it was just <laughs> I would see him once or twice, and that was it.
0: Yeah, but uh, seeing him fifty percent of the time, you know, if you went in four times, you saw him twice. That's uh, that's that's pretty good odds. So let me ask you this question: If you had access to that CRP field, do you think your your chances of killing him would have skyrocketed?
1: Oh, he'd have been dead.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just because you knew you knew what he was doing.
1: Oh yeah, I mean. The crazy thing about that was, is the neighbor, that neighbor, I don't really, I didn't talk until after this season, I had never really talked to that neighbor. Uh, he let me shed hunt, we were cordial, we were cool, um, we had a conversation about him driving along the, the the fence line, being like, you know, I realize I'm hunting your fence line, but you also got to realize I only have this little piece of woods to hunt over here, so I got to do what I got to do and he was cool and he stopped driving by my my tree stand you know and driving by that fence row and it was also to be honest it was helping him because him driving by it was also not helping him see any more deer anyway I was like you're driving by it in the wrong wind and you know if you if you just maybe walk with the right wind you know he's not betting in on me or your none of these deer are betting in on the on, in my woods I was like so if you take your wind and your wind blows into my woods, you're still kind of, you know, screwing me. But you'll see more deer. You're walking through with your whole scent blowing through the CRP field. I was like, hunt it from this way. When you're going back there, I was like, I might be able to still get something, something out of the CRP field still coming to me if it blows into my woods. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. So I, I had that con. Conver- I had that conversation with them. And he he must have understood and everything. I stopped getting trail camera pictures of him driving by and walking by and everything else. So that did help.
0: So you actually gave him good information about how to hunt that piece of property that he was on. And then uh, at the same time, the information you gave him helped you out as well correct okay i got you well that's uh you know that's uh communication right i mean communication is key when you're hunting with other people man I, i i really do uh think so um all right so 2018 goes uh by did you have any encounters with him in the tree no that you said that was four encounters or you you hunted him four times in 2018 and you saw him twice right
1: Well, that's a 2018-19 year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. So this deer is getting old, and you mentioned his range started to shrink based off of your trail camera data. Did you find any sheds for him uh, this spring in 2019?
1: Yeah. I I watched him. He was going to that cornfield that he would go halfway, and uh, we had another deer show up. Last year in in the winter, and his name was Tyrone for some reason he and this is a big deer uh he would hang out with that deer Tyrone and a couple other does, which was really awkward because he he was never late in the season he never really liked to hang out with a lot of uh a lot of other deer but he would hang out with this other older deer too and I seen him out in the field feeding like we had a couple really cold nights and he was out there well, then we got the snow and the snowmobilers hit and then he disappeared again um and so i when i was watching him there's two nights it was so cold and it was getting really close to dark i seen two big body deer out there and they were both missing their rack and i was like all right the one piece of information i also came over the years he was always dropped january 29th to february 1st in that three-day span like besides his first two years he would always drop within those three day, three days every year. Really? So as soon as yeah. No That's matter crazy. I mean, there was years where he looked like a skeleton and he would still drop within those three days. And I was like it was crazy. I was like, man, he looks like he's gonna die this year because he's so worn down from the rut and everything else. We got a lot of snow and he would still drop at the same time every year. Well that, that time came and when I seen him there's only two sets of sheds I wanted to find on that property anyway. Anything else was a bonus. It was always his or Tyrone's. Well, I started, you know, putting in the miles, and I found one side, and it was where a side where he's normally not there. But when you look at I had marked every tree stand on the whole property um, through the years of shed hunting, and I wanted to see where the most pressure was and where the uh, the least amount of pressure was on these on these little block on these blocks of woods, and i found it it looked like he'd been running from a snowmobiler but it was also in the least pressured part of the woods on the whole property besides mine so i was like all right i found a shed here but i knew where that other bed was in my buddy's section and i went out one day and it started getting a dusting of snow and i finding sheds in snow is kind of hard <laughs> especially fine. when they're especially when they're bleached out because he lives in CRP. You know what I mean? They're white, super white racks, and it's snow. So I would got almost to where I thought his bed was, and I was like, you know what, I'll come back. Well, I had never made it back out there. And then one day I told Jeff, I was like, I really need to go back out there and check that bed. I want to find this other side. And I drove my quad out and checked this little, like, windmill area. Just by, you know, I was like, eh, he might be out here. But if he's not there, this other bed, I was like, man, he has to be in here. I was like, I don't know. I've searched everywhere else. Unless he's in the CRP and dropped it in it, which it didn't make sense because we had so much snow. I was like, but if he's in here, I was like, I need to do it. I literally drove my quad up to the edge of the woods, jumped off, walked 15 yards, and found his shed and his other side in <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> so but you... it was chewed up real bad, for squirrels.
0: Gotcha. And what? When? Uh, when was that that you found the uh, the second side, the match set?
1: It was almost like a month later from the, 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 it was chewed up pretty bad, but it was almost a month later. I found the I found the first one on February 3rd, I think, and then that so was in the beginning of March is when I found the other one. And it was chewed up pretty bad. It was pretty disappointing, but nonetheless, I still had it.
0: Yeah. So did that, finding those sheds in those locations teach you anything uh, about his pattern uh, or his annual pattern going into the this this fall
1: yeah I knew once that snow hit that the other thick part of this woods is where he was bed like I knew where I found that shed was a bed so knowing that that was a bed I was like okay that's a bed the snow hits he's going over there so I'm like I knew I was just counting my, my days this year like we're getting colder we're getting colder but we hadn't had a lot of snow we hadn't had any snow and I was talking to my buddy. He's like, man, you play, played it patient all all these years, and you've never killed this year. You need to get aggressive, and you need to quit waiting for your pattern and just go in there and hunt. He's like, play the wind. As long as you don't get busted, you're not going to bump them. He's already used to, you know, this and everything else. The one funny thing is is one of the guys that hunts the big section of woods, he was just like they had a ground blind in their woods. And he said, uh, I don't even know why we set up these stupid ground blinds. He's like, you're never going to kill any of these big deer out of a ground blind anyway. And I was, I'd i already killed my one big year deer out of a ground blind two years ago. I was just like, you don't think – I was like, I bet I could kill locusts out of a ground blind. And he was just like, I bet you can't. I was like, well, uh, I'll take that bet. <laughs> so July in the summer, I set up a ground blind. And I'm like, I'm going to set it up, and I know this deer. I was like, if I leave it up and leave it here all year, the deer will get used to it and I was like, I set it up, braced it, brushed it in, and did everything else, and put my support poles in it, and it had been in there all year, had to touch it, and then when I started baiting, you know, I I made it so that now the bait pile is almost in the dead center of the woods, but more toward the fence line. It's like 20 yards off the fence line, but we're closer to the center center of the woods. I was like, Now he has room to J-hook around if he wants to J-hook around, and he can do whatever he wants. You know, I'll let him, if he he needs to go behind me, he has to go behind me. I was like, but we'll see what the cameras play out, you know, tell me. Well, I started out with one camera. He was coming in, and it was like a light switch. As soon as that cold hit, he started coming to the bait, and he would always be in the dark. And I was like, all right, well, he's coming in, you know, at midnight and uh, then he would get closer to daylight closer to daylight and i'm like all right he's getting closer then he daylighted and i'm like all right the funny thing about this year is like nobody had pictures of him didn't even think he was alive anymore cuz he was so old and then when i got pictures of him i sent it to a couple of guys on the farm and said well he's alive um so he starts daylighting.
0: uh daylight in and morning or daylight in uh in the evening, evening. okay and what what evening. time of year was this what
1: that was uh
0: Right before uh,
1: November, the third week of November.
0: Okay, so on the as far as the rut was concerned, um, he wasn't showing up. He was only showing up on uh, on nocturnal on the areas that you had uh, to hunt during the rut.
1: Yep, he he he'd not been on a single other other camera other than the one in the little wood block that I had on the bait. That's it. Gotcha. Like, I never had him take those or anything like that. Nothing. But as soon as he showed up, you know, I started running more more cameras, and I tried to hunt him one more time, or one time to try to see where he was at in the, in the CRP
0: field. Okay. All right. So, he shows up uh, daylight, and is this when you decide to make your move on him?
1: it i wanted to make a move i had the ground blind there but i had like my hanging bang thing i have a lone wolf and two hawks and everything else um if somebody was to walk into the woods and see this wood they would look like some idiot was hunting because (laughs) there was tree stands everywhere right um i have three hanging bang sets so what i would do is i'd take that wind and I'd play that wind and just try to do, like, a quartering wind off of it. Like, if he tried to J-hook, I was, like, 10 to 20 yards to the edge of that wind if he was trying to wind me. You know what I mean? Like, the wind's blowing, he would come to the edge of it, but I would be just outside of that, that cone so I could shoot back at the bait or shoot back at where he's jumping the fence and so on and so forth. So that's how I tried to. But doing that, I also knew that there were several times that he was coming in last week. Um,
0: at last light. It was
1: at last light, like like he would come in like half hour after night. Um, you know, after it got dark, hour after hour. So he was always really close. And i was like, if I can just put myself closer to see him in the CRP field. This was before gun season. I was like, I really wasn't worried about gun season because he's made it through so through so many. But I was like, I want to get to the edge and get on the fence and see what he does. And that's when I seen my neighbor drive in, him hop up, run, you know, sink back down and stand back up. And I'm watching him. I'm like, I always knew his bed was there, but I would never known exactly, you know, what he would do if he got bumped. Well, he wouldn't even do anything. He'd run 80 yards and then sink back down to the CRP. And I was just like, man, this deer is so smart. So I was like, I never got a wind to hunt that, that stand that was right on the fence row looking out over the CRP. So I was just going to wait till he jumped the fence and then just smoking like that. But that night, the neighbor had already drove through there and everything, and he had just finally just bedded back down. He was just like, well, I'm not going to move until night now. So I can't really pull anything because I don't want to be clanging and banging and take a chance. He's 200 yards from me. I don't want a buckle to hit something at night, so I'd have to leave that stand in there. And then the next quartering wind, I would try to hunt when he'd get closer to daylight, and I'd put a stand there. And I'm like, okay, well, that didn't work. And, you know, the one night I went in and I thought I bumped him and he didn't show up at all that night, which was really weird because he was showing up two or three nights, two or three times at night. And I was like, he didn't show up at all. And I'm like, man. And I had been getting super lucky because I hadn't had that many coon hunters, the neighbor hadn't really went in there, and he made it through that gun season. And I'm like, all right, now I need to, you know, figure this out. And I'd hunted I'd hunted that, that woods more than I'd ever hunted it before. But I was always doing it on the perfect wind and I was always doing it, you know, on like the the perfect situation. Kind of buy I didn't want to like over Yeah, like to the T. Yeah. But i like I'm talking I'd probably already put in like seven or eight hunts in this thing. And I'd never believed that I'd be able to get that many hunts in. And with me thinking that I bumped him that night, I was like, I'm probably done now. And then he started coming back closer to daylight and I'm like, man so it had been cold like two or three days in a row, and I was like, we had high pressure, clear skies. I was like, we had a little bit of snow on the ground and everything else. I could, you know, I was like, they have to be feeding tonight. I was like, pressure's high. I was like, clear, super cold. It's been cold for three days. I know he's hungry. He was in here, you know, a day ago right before uh, last night. So I go into the ground blind because I have absolutely perfect wind for the ground blind. And it's so cold, I was like, I can, you know, it's easier to sit in the ground blind when it's freezing rather than a tree stand freezing. So I was like, I'll sit in the ground blind. And I was getting kind of deer-pressed, for the lack of better words, because I'm like, I don't know what else to do about this deer. And, you know, every day, me and my one buddy would sit there and, you know, contemplate different strategies and everything else. And I sat there, and it was getting it was getting down to the nitty gritty and I look over and I see a body and he had, he was so old where his body like starting to hump up and like not really sag, but he's kind of like walking like he has like arthritis, you know, like an old man bent over. Yep. You know, that's, that's what kind of body he had to him and there was an old doe in there and there was him and I'm like, man, that looks bigger than the old doe. And then he turns his head and I'm like, Oh, that's him. Yeah. And he come up, The craziest thing is I had put four cameras to see where he was jumping into the wood because that's how I would – I was like, all right, he's going to jump here every single time because if he's going to jump here every single time, I'm going to move my stand and do that quartering wind, and then I'll get him right as soon as he jumps the fence. Well, come to find out, I was getting – the camera was only sending pictures every three minutes. So I thought when he was walking up to the fence, he was just jumping, and I wasn't getting any more pictures. What he was doing or what he did that night – he would come up to the fence even with the bait pile, look at the bait and clear it, and then he would walk down the fence toward the ground blind, which the does would J-hook around into, and they'd come right next to the ground blind and then walk back up to it. But I never had a picture of him coming that way. It was always from behind the bait. So he walked down the fence row on the CRP, come toward the ground blind, and went to – like he didn't go in by me. He just walked it to wind it. And but he would have had to go another forty yards to win the ground blind. Okay. And I was like, wow! He turns and goes right back up the fence row where he come from, and goes I don't know how many yards down because it's too thick for me to see. Jumps in the into the woods and then comes straight down behind the bait pile.
0: So he's is he J hooking, or so he's coming up to try to win the ground blind or win past the bait.
1: It went he, past the bait. He, what, yeah,
0: he jumps in the timber, and then walks the timber straight back down to J- then J-hook again into the bait pile?
1: So he, he would he would walk the fence line on the property that I don't have permission for. He would walk down that and come to me and win the bait pile on the private side, not my side. Okay. And then he'd turn, walk back down where he came from on the fence and then jump into the woods on my side and then come up behind the bait and come in at a – came in at an angle the bait
0: was he angling in between the bait and the ground blind or was he a like was 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 he ever between the bait pile and the ground blind or was the bait pile always between the ground blind and him
1: when he was in the woods in my side he was always the ground the the bait pile was in between me and him
0: okay all right so he didn't J- but on the hook,
1: side that the side that i
0: he didn't ever j hook well, in between he, you the, the ground blind and the, the bait like what i'm getting at is um, uh, it sounded like for a while there you you knew you didn't have a shot on the bait pile so you backed your tree stands off hoping that he would j hook around and then he would get you would be closer to him than to the bait pile and there, you know so so he wouldn't j hook and wind you
1: yeah, that's what I was doing with the tree stands.
0: Correct. Gotcha. Okay.
1: I was I was I was banking on him, you know, using the wind and me shooting him coming into the woods. That's how I was doing the tree stands. But the ground blind was pretty much set up for the bait, you know. Yep. And that's what I hunted that night because he was coming into it and I I was I, I didn't the it was a exact perfect win for that it was the very best win for that that uh that ground blind, which kind of blows my mind. If it wasn't being so cold, I don't think he would have came in in daylight because it was a very perfect win for me and a very terrible win for him. Got but him. he did, in his defense, he did He did win that bait pile. Like He came all the way even with my ground blind, but stayed on the, the private side. And then he turned around and walked right back and then jumped the fence 20 yards past where he had originally looked at the baseline. the bait pile
0: so and and you were in the ground blind this night yes i was
1: in the ground blind
0: okay so he
1: does
0: does all that stuff right he exactly what you just said and then he starts making his way towards the uh the bait pile did he make it to the bait pile before you had got the shot off or did you let him come in and calm down or uh, what time of day was was there plenty of shooting light left or at any time were you nervous
1: oh i was nervous because i was running out of light quick yeah and the thing is i wasn't really i was paying attention to him solely and a couple other does made it into the the bait pile and he hated other deer on that bait pile he didn't want no part of any other deer there and the craziest thing is is when he was walking down the thing i looked over and i seen the doe on the bait pile i'm like oh man i was like what is he going to do now he's never came in with those before i was just like and he starts shaking his head, like, a, like waving his head like a moose. And I was like, what? And he was, like, shaking his head. And this deer, like, looks up and, like, ganks her head back. And then she runs off. And then another doe, like, another place, like, runs off, too. He was, like, pushing all the deer off the bait pile, coming in. And he just slowly, like, just like an old man walking into, you know, into church or something. He was just coming in, just shaking this like, and once the deer moved, he stopped, like, swaying his head and just came in. And I let him get to the bait ball and put his head down. And the one thing is he started quartering too more than I had thought. I thought he was just completely broadside. I ran that arrow up his leg and, uh, or not arrow, the pin up his leg at 26 yards and I let her eat. And he was a little bit more quartering away than I had anticipated. And it went like long ways through him and ended up sticking in his back leg. But that Luminox, Looked like a twelve ring.
0: Oh, okay, so
1: when he ran off. That that Lubinok was like right in his twelve ring, and I'm like, all right, that's awesome. But come to find out, after we recovered him, it was actually a way hard quartering, and it sticking it was stuck in his back leg.
0: Quartering towards you, you hit him. You hit him twelve ring, and then uh, it's stuck in his opposite side back leg.
1: Well, it it didn't end up being a twelve ring shot. It ended up being back okay i had thought it i in my mind i didn't it it was i didn't even turn the video camera on because it was i didn't want to light up the the ground blind you know what i mean yep absolutely sometimes you and i was like you know what i ain't messing with this i was like i've hunted this deer forever i was like i just want to shoot him. and so he he quartered more and when all this stuff's going through your mind you know how it is you're just like okay you think you see something and it was something else and then he ran off And it looks like a great shot. So um, I call, I call Jess and I'm like, Hey, I just shot locust. She was like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. And then she immediately goes, well, are you going to be home in time to (laughs) get Archer so I can go to dinner? Nope. And I was, I was like, are you serious? I was like, this conversation is over. Uh, deer I've been chasing for all these years and this is her response. Mm-hmm. And she hunts, so she knows. Mm-hmm. And so I call my other buddy that I talk to about this deer every single day and I call him. He's like, hey, I'm going to have to call you back. I'm at a basketball game. I'm like, no, 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 We got to talk. And he, I said, I just shot locust. And he like could hear my voice then, like, shaking. He's like, dude! And he's like, basketball game's almost over. I'll go home, get changed. I'll be out there. I was like, sweet, I got to run home and get Archer so that Jess can go to a dinner.
0: Uh, Archer, that's your boy?
1: That's my son. Your
0: son, okay, all right.
1: Yeah, he's three years old. Um, Okay. So I I walk up to where I shot him, blood everywhere. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, look good, ran away good, did the mule kick, all that stuff. I'm like, this is money. I was like, blood everywhere. Um. I just take two pictures of, of blood and a little bit of snow, send them to my, my buddy, and I'm headed home to get Archer so she can go to her dinner, and uh, with a friend that she can do it any time of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I go, <laughs> and get, uh, I go. I feel your pain, dude. My- I
0: know exactly what you're talking about. Everybody else does too. <laughs> yeah.
1: I get my son and I'm like, you ready to go see daddy's deer? And he had just gotten over being a little sick. And, uh, so he's like, yeah, yeah. He was all pumped up, ready to go. And a couple of my other buddies called me on my way there. And then on my way back and like all my friends, I've never done a recovery with like more than just me. Um, and for one of my like good deer and all my buddies will usually call me every night to see how this hunt's been going and they're like, did you get him? Did you see him? What happened now? You know, What neighbor drove in on you? What did this? And you know, They want to hear all the horror stories that I always end up having. And I was like, I shot him. So by the time we were all done, I think there was five of us. My buddy that I just started, but he just started bow hunting. He was the one that helped me set that ground blind up in July, him and his son. He's like, well, me and Nick will be over. I'm like, cool. And then my buddies that hunted the farm with me, that hunted that other wood they had the bed in, he was like, oh, well, we'll come over and we'll bring the Kubota, so you, you know, because we can't drive in the farmer's field with, with vehicles, it has to be like a lightweight Kubota or whatever, he's like, I'll bring the Kubota over. And then my buddy that I would called, he was over. And then my other buddy, he was just like, dude, I'm coming too. And I'm like, oh, so there's like five of us or whatever out there. And we go back in and uh, my son, we get there and he goes, dad, I just want to stay in the car. And I'm like, all right, bud. So my buddy's son stayed in the car with with archer and we all went out and started tracking them i mean it's the red carpet treatment and we go 60 yards find a bed and a blood everywhere and then he gets up out of that bed goes 20 yards more and then another bed and he gets up out of that bed i mean there's still blood everywhere and then he goes in 10 yards more and there's another bed and i'm like my buddy matt's like man i'm starting to see like guts in this stuff yeah that's my was, that's, like,
0: that's what i was gonna say that sounds like a gut shot deer
1: yeah, and I'm just like, man, there's a lot of blood. I was like, this is weird. I'm like, and he'd already got out of three beds, but he the, he would get to the edge of the woods, and then he would turn to stay in the woods. He never wanted to break out into the open field, uh, even after he was hurt. So I was like, this is crazy because he could have ran across the, the open field and got to uh, my buddy's woods to that other thicker bed. He wanted, he wanted to turn and go back to the CRP. And I was like, this is crazy. So he turns and keeps going. And then my buddy's sitting there, and he goes, man, he goes, I see a blue light up there. I said, a blue light? I said, that has to be my Illuminati. I'm like, oh, no, he snapped it off. And he goes, no, I'm seeing horns. And I'm like, then I turn, like, around this little bush and see him. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, it's him. Well, the reason why he got out of all those beds is the coyotes had already got to him in like two and a half hours. Oh wow. Yeah. And they ate his they ate his rear end out just by his tail and his butt. And they had already been on him and he was, he'd only been dead for who knows how long, maybe fifteen half hour, fifteen minutes maybe? Yeah. And uh but yeah he was he was he was he was dead of the door now and sure as stuff, sure as hell I did I gut shot him. He was uh right first rib angling all the way back and uh I think the broadhead just had to go through all that stuff. It barely hit it was like barely sticking out the other side and then just like nicked his back leg wasn't sticking in it. Yeah. It was just you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why that aluminoch with that hard angle looked like the twelve ring. Right. And then it went through all that stuff so it looks you know what I mean, when he yep. ran away it looked like a twelve ring too.
0: Right. Now did you hit front side liver at all or was it either even further back than that?
1: I think I got a little bit of the liver.
0: Yeah, that's dark, dark blue. Yeah, and that's what that probably that's probably what saved you. I mean, the coyotes obviously got to them first, but uh, you know, those I, t- I tell you what, man, those the liver shots are deadly.
1: Yeah, I it was I I was extremely grateful. I mean, and I I couldn't believe it, and like it, you know how it is, like it's happening all fast and everything, and yep. seeing that deer. You know, seeing all that blood, it blew my mind, and I was like, "But then seeing that deer dead, I was just like, you know, I hope he didn't suffer for very long because we were only gone for like, like I said, two and a half hours. Maybe we were back in there on him, and then uh, just just looking at this deer, it was like, it was like one of those things. I've chased this deer so long, yeah. Um, you don't know what to do. You know, I'm like, wow, I've seen you do this, this, and this, and I've found your sheds, and I've done this. It's crazy." And I never, like, thought this deer was a fighter. But literally, he had scar tissue all over his neck and his shoulders that were, like, the size of, like, marbles and golf balls because he'd been punctured by, like, antlers and stuff. He had one the size of a tennis ball up by his jaw that was, like, full of pus and, like, scar tissue over it and stuff like that. On the back of his head, like, where his skull plate is on the back side. There's like a tear, and like rips, and then like puncture marks there.
0: So he was a fighter. Like he had
1: so. Yeah, I mean, he had scars everywhere, down to his shoulders and his chest, on his neck. Both his ears were ripped. I mean, wow. crazy. How wow. Many scars and how much issues on that deer.
0: So, I'm not asking you to rate this deer. Amongst all the other deer that you've killed, I mean, because you've you've shot, uh, you know, you've shot some big deer in your day. What where does the story lie with some of the other deer? You know, given the fact that uh, you chased this deer for five years.
1: I mean, this is, you know, my biggest deer. It meant a lot to me just because I you just put so much time and work into stuff, and um, but this deer, hands down, like is is my number one deer i mean not too many people can say that they chased the deer you know for as long as i did and then with the pressure that was around there for this deer to even survive most of our deer die when they're three years old you know and for this deer to make it so long and to be so smart and do everything you know and have what he was doing worked for him yeah. and he just slipped up once and it just happened to be with me but i out of the fifteen people, I probably have about two thousand pictures of this deer, and uh, amongst all them together, they probably have about a hundred and fifty. Yeah, and I have two sets of sets of sheds, and he he was bigger this year than the other two sets of sheds that I have. Wow. So,
0: wow. Yeah. So I mean,
1: and, he had he had stuff. Hey, go
0: ahead. So, so just just kind of for reference here, um, how big did you, Did you score him at all uh, did you put any tape to him after you got him on the ground
1: yeah my one buddy he really likes doing that. I did it myself and then I let my buddy do it but my buddy came up with uh one sixty nine and one
0: eight all right so just under uh just under a Booner i mean regard who cares but i mean that's a, that's a giant impressive deer the score is awesome, but the age class is what I love that story of what I love the the fact that what's cool about this whole thing is that you have this five-year story and at the end of the day this deer was so can you know he was so canny and he was so smart and he didn't give hunters very many opportunities to kill him and at the end of the day you walk away with you know the win, basically and I think that's that is awesome the amount of time and energy and strategy that went in to, to killing this buck so kudos to you man yeah
1: that night was all like i said i'd never done a recovery with that many people but it was also super cool to recover that deer with all my friends yeah like my buddy and his son helped me set up the ground blind you know my other guys had been hunting that farm forever and seen them a couple of times so they know the story you know my one buddy just started hunting so he wanted to see like an older deer, and you know he got to listen to me complain about him. And then my one <laughs> buddy, he just you know, convinced me to be aggressive. He was like, "Dude, you just need to hunt, like just hunt, hunt." He he pushed me to be more aggressive, and that helped me kill him. So all those guys there had a part in it, and just all of us being there together was just a great. It was a great feeling, and a, you know they were all happy for me. It wasn't like nobody was jealous because I took the biggest deer off the farm or anything else. It was all, everybody was super happy. They're like, wow, you killed a legend.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, congrats on, uh, on this, this deer that you harvested this year. Um, I love, like I said, I I love the, the storyline that played out with it. And, uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and chit chat and, uh, good luck, uh, this upcoming season, man.
1: Thanks Dan. I appreciate it, buddy.
0: And that brings us to the end of another podcast, the first podcast in 2020. Huge shout out to everybody who has been past guests. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. And I want to make sure I, I do do them justice. You know, Vortex, Prime, Ozonix, Wasp, Lone Wolf, and Ripcord. Uh, please go out and support the companies that have supported this podcast. It uh, They're very good people. They make very good products and uh, other than that go spend some time with your family Uh, and if you want something in this life go and take it go and get it and do it in a positive manner and I swear to God if you can do those things you got to put in a lot of hard work but you'll be successful Um, man I'm just feeling so jacked right now I'm going to close this podcast the same way that I always do if you're going to be in a tree wear your damn safety harness happy new year